Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. Today we're going to take a lighter turn and we're going to discuss one of our more unusual projects. I am delighted to welcome Sarah and Michael to the show. Can I ask you to both introduce yourselves? Maybe you could tell us what you do at Software and an interesting fact about yourselves. Hello, I'm Sarah. I'm a tech lead across some of our BBC projects and I helped write a significant amount of last year's Software Pantomime which involved, amongst other things, dressing up important company figures like Zoe, like a Christmas star, which was extremely special for everybody involved. (laughs) Particularly me. Hello, I'm Michael. I am also a technical lead at Software. I've been on a variety of projects in my eight years here. Of course, the most memorable of them have been the pantomimes, (laughs) uh, but I'm not allowed to use that interesting fact, so I'm going to have to use a different one. Thanks, Sarah. I can juggle whilst riding a unicycle. What? use for that's that. such a better and interesting fact but if anyone has any openings you know just just let me know available for hire that's amazing michael why haven't you done that in the panto <laughs> <laughs> Shh. i've done enough in the panto <laughs> no more so in today's episode we are going to talk about an unusual project that you both undertook as part of software morale So those who haven't listened to the podcast before might not know that at Software, we use the term morale to talk about all the fun things that we do outside of our day jobs delivering awesome software. And we have a budget and time set aside by the company for these fun morale things. And Sarah and Michael, both of you have been involved in lots of morale. Obviously, we've already covered the panto there. What other kind of things does that include? Uh, we have lots of regular sort of events, I know, which obviously in the, in this COVID day and age, we've had to adapt a bit to being remote. So the, the ones I enjoy most are things like video game nights and movie nights are the easy ones. We also have a creative writing club, which I run. That's really good fun. Cool. We've shifted our board games to be remote as well. We do a lot of music in the office. We have quite a few in-house bands. We haven't quite shifted that to be remote yet, but we're working on that. Fantastic. So that's a lot of different types of things that are all going on then. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're very biased by you having picked out the two people who are talking about today's topic rather than the people who do, for example, sports, whatever they are. Or (laughs) there there definitely are sports. There's like we've got a five side football team. I know what football is. That's sport. (laughs) Touch rugby. There we go. And presumably those, unlike writing or playing video games, actually sports are one of the things that don't really translate well online Mm. so there's probably unless there's people playing fifa from home i don't know that's not quite the same thing is it i don't know anything (laughs) about sport either there we go that's our our specialism on this podcast so these all feel like really kind of like non-business related activities so why does software do this and support these kind of activities obviously i've been in software for quite a while now eight years that's quite a long time in our industry to stay in one place and one of the things that really keeps me in software is the sense of community we have. Over the time, I've built up a lot of good friendships uh, and working relationships with people in software and got to know a lot of people in the company. Some of those have been through working on the same project with people on the same team. And a lot of those have been working with people who I've never interacted with professionally as part of my day-to-day work, but I've hung out with in board games or played music with or interacted via some other weird and wonderful medium that was occurring that week. So All these events that we run 
have really helped to build up a strong community within Softwire. And that means when I do go to work on a, a new project, I quite often know a few of the people on there already and get along with them quite well. So it's mainly about building a community of people who all know and get along and kind of understand each other. Yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of the sorts of things that you, I mean, certainly the, the lists of morale activities we've just named, you get lots of like-minded people, especially in, in some of the creative ones, which was what really pleasantly surprised me when I started here. Like, I think I was expecting it to be, this is fine, I will go to work from nine till five and then I'll go home and I will do fun stuff in my own time on my own. And what's been oh, brilliant no. has been, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that software destroys your work-life balance because it doesn't, you know, it, you have a very clear divide between the fun stuff and the the work. I think that's something that I've also been surprised by is, is how easy it is to, to maintain that. But at the same time, like there's so many amazing collaborations that, that people do, like the bands. We, we've produced two albums today. That's just an amazing testament to how much you can achieve if you have that positive feedback of a community that's constantly creating stuff and constantly collaborating. Yes, and as we're a company that has you know, an office and a bit of money, gives us a foundation to actually have an outlet for people's creative ambitions that they might not be able to do in their one-bed flat in London. And I suppose you also are all co-locate I mean apart from now <laughs> but but in normal times you are all co-located and that's one of the challenges I think for people who are maybe in bands who have to travel an hour to get to rehearsals and then different people are free at different times and have other commitments whereas actually if you're all there together and you can say actually if you've got half an hour now we could go and, and run through this thing together it actually works really well. How how much of a blessing the fact that we have a music room in the office is like cannot understate that it, it's brilliant. It's not it's not just for if you're collaborating, working on something, working on something new. It's also just as a bit of a stress relief tool. It's like some people like to go play pool, some people like to go read the newspaper. I find it's a really good way to blow off steam to just go and like plonk around on the keyboard a bit. Really really cathartic. Amazing. A couple of years ago or so, you hatched this plan for Dreamcatcher. So can you tell me a bit more about what that is? The context for, for Dreamcatcher comes off the back of, actually, I'm going to start this this story on the day I arrived. No, my second day at Softwire. I'd, I'd been here for one full 24-hour period and I'd, I'd just written my new starter blog post saying, hello, my name's Sarah. I quite like writing puzzles because I'd done a bit of that at university. And on day two, one of my colleagues who runs our consulting department took me to one side and I assumed this was some kind of induction thing. And, you know, it's part of, oh, do you want to come work on team consulting? And he was like, we're planning to build an escape room in the office. Do you want to get involved? And I sort of, I, I think I had this like little bit of an out of body experience of like, this is how this company works. <laughs> um, <laughs> a bit so, like, what? <laughs> is, this, is this for real? This is brilliant. Because like the music room, we, we had the space. In fact, it was actually because we were planning to because the company was planning to renovate one of the offices that he'd gone and had a uh, taken the office manager to one side and gone if hypothetically we were to screw a bunch of things into the wall here here and here would it matter and the office manager was like no because we're about to repaint that wall and that was back in 2017 actually for the first half of 2017 we built it put cardboard over the window in the door so nobody could see in. Uh, people were very gracious about the noise that they could occasionally hear at about 7am on a weekday morning of drilling and of sawing and things. And we built our own little escape room. So uh, that was played by uh, pretty much everyone in the company at the time. It was great fun. It went down very well. 
So off the back of that, there was a bunch of us who were interested in doing something that wasn't in the office that we could open up to not just software as well. And that's how EMF came in. So there is a gathering that happens every two years called EMF Camp, Electromagnetic Field. It's in a field and it's quite electro and magnetic. Um, There's... (laughs) Basically, a big gathering of techies, hackers, makers, nerds, whatever you want to call them, all go to a field near Wales and bring all their robots and flamethrowers and experience for a long weekend. I think it, the tagline is that they have good beer and fast Wi-Fi. That's a good concise summary of what goes on there. They have a lot of workshops where you can learn to do blacksmithing or soldering or smelting, or solder little synth. There are lots of talks where people talk about their experiences of hacking Furbies, or what it's like to be banned from the internet, or making more electronic musical instruments, because that's a bit of a theme there. And there's also, when we went in 2018, uh, they had a new space called the Null Sector, which was more for the kind of evening entertainment, a bunch of shipping containers arranged in a future dystopian Blade Runner-esque village. So they had lots of smoke machines and fans and lanterns and big old flamethrowers going into the sky until two in the morning and lasers and music. So a bunch of us kind of signed up to go to this camp because it looked like it would be good fun and educational. And then Sarah said, oh, why don't we make a puzzle hunt? And so she submitted it and a few of us got on board. They accepted it. And then we were like, oh, I guess we better make a puzzle hunt then. So yeah, we had, I can't remember how long we had, about six months, I think, maybe to put it together from scratch. Yeah, feels about right. And obviously this is on top of a nine to five, so it was mostly doing it sort of weekends, evenings. So Dreamcatcher is a puzzle hunt. That's what it is. Yes. That's what it is. It is a bit like an escape room, but it's outdoors and it takes place across various different locations originally, which were different places in the camp. Okay, great. And what's the name Dreamcatcher based on? So EMF Camp normally has a theme for the kind of installation work. And that year, I think it was AI, robotics and privacy. Yeah. So when we... we, That was quite a wide. (laughs) So when we had a kickoff meeting, a few of us got together and just brainstormed some ideas. One of the things we were talking about was dreams. Came up with the idea of, what if you could train an AI using your dream data as a source of unstructured input into it? Could you train something that I don't know, became conscious, for example? We built the puzzle hunt around the premise of that, um, of there being this fictional machine that could turn dreams into some kind of conscious AI. And we tried to think of a name, and Dreamcatcher seemed to fit pretty appropriately. Okay, cool. So you, you kind of went around and did puzzles. I mean, it's a fascinating idea, isn't it? Like an AI constructed from your dreams would be kind of you, but also kind of not you. Yeah, so I mean, it, it, it's funny. I've, I've obviously got a lot of our peers and colleagues are very big on AI, and obviously this is this is a science fiction idea. This is not necessarily something that we are. Propo- <laughs> it's definitely not something we're recommending, not least because of um, what happens in the story. Is uh, it all goes a bit pear shaped? But um, I think what, what we're really interested in is exploring those sorts of themes of well, it connects to all three all three elements. I mean, not less so robotics. So there is a bit of an element of sort of what's the the embodiment of this creature and of this AI in this machine. 
But both the idea of the artificial intelligence and the ethics associated with that, but the idea of privacy, like in, in the story, people who are having their dream data uploaded to this machine just think it's, well, whatever, it's, it's just brainwaves. It doesn't mean anything. Whereas actually what's happening is that it's absorbing some part of their personality or their consciousness. You know, it, it's beginning to see things which are part of someone's innermost thoughts. And, you know, but, but because that's, that's what a dream is, really. It, it, it's all the inhibitions have gone. So we're really interested in exploring that. What what I think is really nice about puzzle hunts and escape rooms is is their storytelling potential because you, the players, are living this story. So you have to make decisions that impact that story. So we really wanted to give it something that that was meaningful. That when you when you're playing it, you felt that you, there were consequences to your actions. This, I mean, this sounds really quite an in-depth thing to create. What kind of different skill sets do you need? I mean, how do each different parts, because you've obviously mentioned their storytelling, and I guess there's some type of puzzle construction skills. Is that, mm. is that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so skill sets, just like knowing C-sharp, isn't it? No, it was a really exciting bunch of different skills we needed. And of course, the flip side of that is that some of the skills we didn't, did not already have, such as DIY, we got to practice those. I would say the main ones that we had were coming up with with the puzzles. So that's really just, we didn't want it to just be, here's a bunch of Sudokus. We wanted some of them to be a bit more unusual. But at the same time, there needed to be things that we felt confident that most players would just be, wouldn't get completely stuck on. That's not be too hard. And they had to be interesting. One of the things we've been talking on the podcast with regards to software is user testing and actually test, testing things out on people and tweaking them based on the feedback you get. Did you have to do some user testing with your with your puzzles? Oh, boy. Yes. Did we, yeah. did we ever? <laughs> so whilst we were building them, we, we had a little gang of us and we'd come up with some scrappy ideas for puzzles and send them to each other as a kind of first pass to say, does this seem fun? Does it seem like it's going in a good direction? Sometimes the puzzles were, weren't even complete. Maybe they didn't have an answer. They were just a kind of like a feeling or a vibe. But once we got through that process and we had 10 puzzles, which was the, the number we were aiming for, we did have an initial test run where we got a few other friends and colleagues to come over to Hampstead Teeth, And we set up all the 10 puzzles around there on some trees and tried to let them have a go unfortunately it then bucketed down with rain <laughs> for about one hour it was pretty torrential we carried everything to the office to reset it up a lot of it was drenched and then it was sunny for the rest of the day as well um, <laughs> classic london we got one disaster out the way right at the beginning of our testing session from then on it went pretty okay we got some good feedback on that day some of the puzzles were way too hard uh, some of them were slightly too easy but still fun I think one of the things we learned was that slightly too easy is probably almost always better than too hard because, I mean, regardless of who your audience is, as, this, as it happens, we, you know, we, we knew that this was going to be the sorts of people who would go to a tech camp, but it's still going, some of the people are going to be families. Some, pe- some of the people are only going to have five minutes to take a look at it before they move on. So they're not going to be a captive audience. You need to grab their attention. We did end up with quite a range of, of difficulty levels. And the other thing we, we, we learned from that, that play test was really how, like, how much time it takes to do it is a big factor. Like there were a couple of puzzles where it became obvious pretty quickly what you were doing, but then it took you like 20 minutes to do it. And that's, that's too mm. long because that immediately right. 
you lose their attention and you lose their their concentration. I feel like that's the same in user testing in in software. Like if you can't communicate the point to the person immediately, then you are never going to be able to make that point. Wow. So so it's a pretty full on process over <laughs> the six months. How how many hours do you think you all did overall? Too many. God, I have no idea. I, yeah, I'm I'm not even going to try and make up a number. <laughs> For a few months, it was certainly most weekends and quite a few evenings. Would you do it again? Was it worth it? Well, we were <laughs> intending to do it again this year because EMF Camp was going to run again this year at the end of July, I think. Obviously, the situation has changed and EMF Camp is not running this year. So we're not going to be building the same kind of puzzle hunt for that, unfortunately. We might be building something this year, but we're certainly looking forward to having the chance to build another real physical adventure when we can, probably next year. The really nice thing about EMF Camp was because it gave us that space. It, it, it's like the original software escape room. It, we had a space to do it, and that automatically multiplies what you can do so much. You have such a breadth of if you have somewhere that you can physically put physical things. If you've got something like a, a puzzle book or something that happens online, you're much more restricted about the sorts of things that people can be doing. So that was what was really exciting about it. Obviously, if that isn't an option, then we've got some slightly different ideas. We'll watch this space. Very exciting. That is fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Just to finish, how does having the freedom to make things, you know, like the, the puzzle room, and obviously, although this was for the, the EMF camp, you did a lot of work on it at Software and with people at Software and so on. Oh, yeah. We, we also did rerun it at Software after the camp. We, we, we did a, a sort of London run, which was based in the office. So how does that make you feel about software? We were kind of talking at the start about community. One of my aims in software secretly for a while has been to try and work with as many people as possible just because the you get a good variety of people's experiences and ways of thinking and you end up learning a lot from that. That is not an achievable goal because software keeps growing. So the next best, the next best thing is to just be able to hang out with people in different ways and work on different projects that's also given me a chance to see different sides of people i mean i've I've been a a lot less long than michael i've been here since 2017 i think for me that's this is the things like these i was gonna say extracurricular that's not quite the right word extra projects like dreamcatcher are just such a great excuse to do stuff with with i mean uh, we've never worked on a team together have we i don't think we have nope and similarly for the rest of the the Dreamcatcher team, yeah, it's been really exciting, and I think it it's really testament to how successful the software community collaborative spirit is that we're doing this with colleagues in capacity as friends, but like yeah, I'm I'm not running away from the office as quickly as I can when Friday five pm happens. It give, gives us the opportunity to do things that we just wouldn't be able to do, producing a full album producing an entire pantomime and building a set. These are things that I just, I wouldn't be doing otherwise. Uh, skills that I've never even considered before. Right. And it's because you you need other people. You know, everyone can work on projects on their own, but there's a limit to how far you can get. Whereas if you have a group of enthusiastic people. Yes. And you kind of bounce off each other. Yes. And also we've got enough people in the company to get to the point where I can just ask around the company, hey, does anyone 
know a bit of cell tech or does anyone have a laser? Um, and <laughs> so pick a completely random example. Then, then I'll get a lot of responses very quickly and very enthusiastically. So it enables us to just try things out that we really have no idea about and very quickly find some people who are keen and enthusiastic and have a lot of interesting equipment. Sometimes it does even come full circle. I think there are quite a few other things on, on Dreamcatcher that we... We, we wrote a fair bit of software for it. So the, the, the final scene, the finale, took place uh, in virtual reality. So we got to learn a little bit of extremely homebrew VR for that using a, a mobile phone and a headset. But that was, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do that if we hadn't all been on the same page technically as well, which was really great. And that was something that we kind of carved from the ashes of the original escape room from Software Syzygy. The people who built that built a kind of little microservices framework so that the room could essentially reset itself and run itself. And that found some good reuse in our London run of the Dreamcatcher Puzzle Hunt. And we'll probably keep working on that in future. So we're, we're starting to build up a bit of a framework for escape rooms. Fantastic. So you're, you're learning and iterating and building up skill sets. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Cool. And, and, and at the same time, getting more different new people on it each time you know fresh fresh opinions and fresh ideas which is really exciting that's incredible thank you so much sarah and michael i've really enjoyed talking about this and i have to say that as an employee of software having these kind of things in the company just for me makes it an absolutely magical place to work like turning up and then there's this bespoke escape room Uh, absolutely crazy so thank you very much and thanks everyone for listening and see you next time on software tech talks thank you thank you